You're listening to the Loose Pucks Podcast with Zach Hopkins and Dave Isaac. Welcome into the latest episode of the Loose Pucks Podcast. What a show we have for you today. Uh, we'll be talking World Cup, life without Jake Voracek, and the Flyers getting closer to a playoff spot. And then there's the biggest guest that we've had so far in the show, General Manager Ron Hextall. Uh, we've been called sickos for various reasons, Zach, but uh, both of us are feeling a little bit under the weather. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Luckily, uh, hopefully Ron Hextall's not, so that should be a plus for us. Yeah, yeah. I think he's he's got some reasons to be feeling very good uh, with the way that his team's been playing. Three points out of a playoff spot. The Pittsburgh Penguins, they had a game in hand on the Flyers. They played it Tuesday night, and they lost in regulation. So good news for the Flyers there. They're still three points out. Very good news, and and it's funny because you know some uh, some message board fans will say, you know, I, I can't root for the Washington Capitals, their division team, and as far as I'm concerned, ain't nobody touching them. You're not even remotely going to catch up to them. No. So if that's me last night, I've got my pseudo Ovechkin shirt on, and I want them <laughs> to, you know, just dismiss of the Penguins. So it was nice. Pittsburgh jumped out of that two nothing lead and blew it, which was a, a wonderful sight to see here in Philadelphia. It's it's going to be a rocky ride for the next. A uh, month and a half or so, because the last time we did a show, which was two weeks ago, the Flyers were kind of close. I think they were four points out. Yeah, and then they got deeper in the hole, and it was everybody was ready to write them off. And now they're on the brink of getting back into it. Uh, I, I guess it's it speaks to the parity of the league, but that's where we are now. Uh, you live and die with every kind of result of every game now, not just the Flyers, but their opponents as well. Absolutely. And, and I mean, you look at the, the wild card chase here, and there are so many teams that are right there. They're all within a point or two of each other. Uh, so you have a good stretch, put you in a good position. A couple bad games could knock you right out of it. And uh, luckily for the Flyers, they've been doing really well as of late. And uh, interestingly enough, the trade deadline just passed uh, you know, on Monday. Uh, at uh, Monday afternoon, and you look at teams like the Carolina Hurricanes and the New Jersey Devils, who, for all intents and purposes, are right there, and they're getting rid of some guys. They're sending out some guys. Maybe it's guys they, they think they couldn't resign, so they they want to you know get something, uh, rather than nothing. But uh, just an interesting dynamic it was on Monday, just to see some of these guys, you know, shipped out for a team that, you know within a handful of points coming down to a playoff run. Yeah, I, I forget which one. I think it was Carolina was tied with the Flyers. And, or, or I think Carolina was one behind the Flyers and right. Jersey was tied with right. them. Uh, but I brought that up to, to Ron Hextall the other day, and it's like he was never going to be a buyer. So this was, in a sense, his equivalent of going for it, Right. that, that he didn't sell. But when you look at some of the trades that were being made, and, and we'll talk to him in a few minutes here, the prices were so low that it didn't make sense to sell. Sure. You know, I, I don't know what the market was for Sam Gagne, a guy who had been on waivers earlier this season and nobody picked up. Uh, I don't know what the market was for Mark Streit, who has another year on his contract of five and a quarter million dollars. I don't know how many other really marketable pieces Hextall had to to sell at the deadline. Uh, Michael Raffle was was a name that was out there that was potentially going to the Florida Panthers. They had interest in him. The Flyers were talking about an extension, and then they put that off for a couple of days to talk to trade. Didn't work out. The Flyers end up signing Raffle. Uh, whether that's a good move or not, I get, we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later on in the show. But, you know, that that's that's what happened. The, the, the Flyers stood pat, didn't do anything while some other teams sold, and they may be reaping the benefits of it soon, but they'll, they'll have to do it without uh, – 
without Jake Voracek for the next two weeks, which was kind of a, a crushing blow for Ron Hextall to hear right after he decided to do nothing at the deadline. And and such a downer, too, because it's it's right on the heels of getting Claude Giroux back into the right. lineup. So one, and that was on the heels of getting Sean Couturier absolutely. back. So it's like so one guy they've goes always got to have somebody out. Yeah, one know. guy comes back. Uh, luckily for the Flyers, uh, their their newfound top line seems to be doing pretty good. It's keeping them in games here. And, uh, you know, where Jake Vorchek, I mean, Jake Vorchek is, is just a presence all throughout the game, five on five, you know, power play, whatever. But uh, luckily for the Flyers, that top power play unit has been okay. They, they've went with a two defenseman set now with, with Jake being out, Mark Streit and Shane Gostaspear. So if they can find a way to, you know, kind of, get through these these two weeks with with jake being out and continuing the stretch that they're on i think it's only obviously going to benefit them if they can get get him back in the lineup healthy as we get you know they're only 20 20 games left in the season so at that point you know handful plus maybe a little more than that and then uh you know he should do you know nothing but help yeah absolutely and and the, the team talks about the right guys stepping up and sam gagne is one of them who I think is three goals in his last four games, and maybe three in his last five after after this past one here. Uh, but he's a guy who's who stepped up in an opportunity. He hadn't really had much uh, in terms of top six minutes, but yeah. he seems to be making the most of them. Uh, and that that line, I'll tell you, with uh, Scott Lawton and Nick Cousins and Matt Reed, they've been very good. Uh, they've been more impactful in some games than others. But every time that line is on the ice, you think this this line could do something. Uh, very speedy, interesting playmaking. Uh, Nick yeah. Cousins with the little like alley oop flip pass over a defender's head. Scott Lawton catches it, throws it to the ice, goes in a breakaway, and right scores. Behind the D, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so they've got some some creativity. Let's call it that on that line. And and Lawton's looked pretty good on the wing. So yeah. you have Cousins down the middle, Lawton on the wing, and I think that combination has worked really well for them. Yeah, I think that's something that uh, the Flyers weren't necessarily expecting from Scott Lawton. They were trying to get him going, certainly, and right. get him back in the lineup because he had been a healthy scratch, uh, and he goes back in as a left winger instead of his natural center position, and it, it starts paying dividends. So uh, that, that's that's another you know potential line that can pitch in until Voracek comes back. But let, let's take a look uh, several months down the line here, even after the playoffs, whatever happens there, whether the Flyers make it or not. Uh, the World Cup rosters were announced on Wednesday, and the Flyers have five representatives. Mark Streit will be on Team Europe, which is everybody that's not in Russia, Czech, uh, Sweden, Finland, and maybe that's it. But uh, yeah, he, he's going to be a fixture there at 38 years old on the blue line for Team Europe. Uh, for the Czech Republic team, the Flyers have three, Michael Neuwirth, Jake Voracek, and Radko Gudis. And here's where it starts getting a little hairy. Team North America, the 23 and under team between both the U.S. and Canada. Uh, Sean Couturier makes it. Shane Gostisbehere does not. That last part is a little bit surprising. Uh, and then Claude Giroux not making it for, for Team Canada. And these are just the initial rosters, right. 16 players. Uh, so each team will add another seven by June 1st, the final deadline. But what are your initial thoughts there? Uh very happy for Sean Couture. I think this season he's he's definitely proven that he deserves a spot like that. However, um, very confused with with Gostisbehere being left off initially, and, and Claude Drew as well too. Uh, this is eerily similar to Drew being left off of the Canadian Olympic team so many years ago, and uh, and with Gostisbehere, you know, it's it's so interesting. So you know, Connor McDavid's named. Rookie of the Month for February. A lot of people thought it should have went to Gostas Bear. Both guys having great months. 
Uh, but just, you know, the ride that Ghost was on with the point streak and just you know, like we had talked about before, just the, the energy, what he brings to this team, how much his game has improved. And you look at the guys that, that were named defensively to that North American team and you just scratch your head why he's not there. Aaron Eckblad's one. Yeah, definitely should be there. Uh, but I think we discussed Morgan Riley from Toronto's one. And I, I'm not sure that a guy like that should be on that this initial roster before Gossesbury. Yeah, well, I mean... The Couturier thing, I, I agree. That that to me, Peter Chiarelli, the Edmonton Oilers general manager, is also the general manager of the North American roster. And to me, the Couturier pick is very smart uh, because he's a guy who certainly has a lot of NHL experience. I mean, the the, the cutoff, I believe, is, is October 1st uh, for, for the birth date. He will be 24 in December. So he'll, he'll be one of the older guys on the roster, yeah. one of the more experienced guys on the roster. And the role that he's played in the NHL, being that shutdown guy, and he's also played it internationally. He played it for the uh, the Canadians in the World Championships last summer. Gold medal team, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that that's a smart pick to have a guy like that that can play that kind of role on a team with a lot of young guys that may not uh, be thinking defense first, especially in a tournament where I think a lot of young players grow up going to tournaments just trying to score eight goals a shift. Right. And for, for Couturier to be a guy out there that can, you know, maybe take things down a notch or two is very smart. Uh, in terms of Goss Despair, they only named four guys, uh, four defensemen right. to that roster. So there's still time left. And they're not going to carry six. They're going to carry more than six, right? they got to get seven, I would imagine. I would imagine so, yeah. Uh, so he's, he's still got a, a shot there with a, a few more roster spaces left. And I would be surprised if June 1st comes by and he's still not on that roster. Uh, Claude Giroux, I, I scratch my head a little bit on that one, too. A guy who's uh, led the NHL in points over the last five seasons uh, when you put them all together. Yeah. A 14-point lead on Sidney Crosby. Sidney Crosby. Sidney Crosby, the, yeah. You know, the, the poster boy for the whole league. Best player in uh, the world, yeah. So, you know, I, I, I get it from the standpoint of uh, where he is now and where other guys are now in terms of the center position, but... Team Canada has often uh, brought guys on, brought a lot of centermen on and asked them to play wing. Uh, and I think that that's a role that, that he could potentially play for them. And he's been one of the top faceoff guys in the league, so he could step in and do that if they needed him to. Uh, he, he's another guy that I think I would probably be surprised if June 1st goes by and, and he's not on that roster too. But uh, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll we'll see what happens. Five is already a lot of guys for the Flyers oh, to sure. have. You, you'll have to have your head on a swivel come September. And and, and as you mentioned, the, the rosters will expand before you know the June first cutoff. Um, and you have to wonder, even though as we mentioned, I, I think we both agree that we think Giroux and, and Gossesbar both will will be named to those rosters. In all likelihood, yeah. But I wonder if it does anything now uh, in the beginning, at least with this initial list. Uh, if there's a feeling of, of being slight or something like that and how maybe that will you know, affect their play down the stretch. And I don't mean a negative way. I mean with maybe a little chip on their shoulder, and that could probably only benefit the Flyers in these last 20 games. That being said, let's talk to the architect himself, Ron Hextall, who joins us on the phone right now. Ron, thanks so much for coming on. My pleasure. I guess the, the, the first thing, this is a couple days after the, the trade deadline. Your team stands pat. Uh, there were, uh, it was kind of a weird trade deadline, I guess, in the sense that the day itself there weren't too many deals uh, going by of, of really big importance. The big trade was the LAD trade that went down a couple days before. Were prices just not where they 
could have been where, where you were comfortable saying, you know what, this this is the, the right price to, to move a guy? Because at the same time, your, your team is performing well. They get a win uh, that night as well, and you're now three points out of a playoff spot. Yeah, there, there's no question that was that was the case. But there's you know you're you're weighing where your team is now. Um, you know you owe your players a chance unless something comes across that's really going to help your future, or doesn't hurt you very much right now and really helps your future. Nothing like that uh, came along. There's a certainly a, a couple things that we talked about, but um, in the end, nothing nothing made sense. And, Ron, one thing I just got to throw out there is that um, my mother being a big fan of the sport and of the Flyers, and I always need to keep her happy, but once she found out you were the guest tonight, I was told that I had to tell you that she thinks you have the best eyes in NHL for whatever that's worth. So now that I could get that that out of the way, um, if you look at the World Cup, of course today a bunch of guys named to rosters, uh, five Flyers are on rosters now. What's, what's your view on the World Cup? Because I know, especially when you look at something like the Olympics, a lot of you know high-level execs and GMs, uh, maybe a little a little uh, standoffish in the sense of worrying about injuries and stuff like that. And the World Cup, of course, is going to be right before the season. Uh, so especially with some of your top guys uh, being named to the World Cup, what are your thoughts on that? Well, of course, it makes you a little bit nervous, but it's it's really good for the game. I'm I'm happy for our guys, certainly all deserving. And uh, it's it's really it can also be one of those springboards where if you have a, a player that's that had a tough year or is kind of on the way up, and it can be one of those springboards of of to bigger and better things. I know, you know, if you want to look at one of our prospects, Ivan Provorov, it's, as well as he played this year, he goes to the World Juniors, which is a high level of competition at that age, and he plays well and. From the day he went back to Brandon, he's been even a much better player. So that's the type of benefits you can get as an organization from those high-level tournaments. So quite frankly, yeah, there's a, there's a risk of injury, but there's a lot of upside too. So we're all for it. And like I said, I think it's great for the sport. It's terrific hockey. I remember the one in, I think it was 1997 in Philly here. It was unbelievable hockey. So it's great for, for hockey and for the hockey fans. From a general manager's perspective, does it change your stance one way or the other that this tournament is happening right before training camp as opposed to the Olympics, which is kind of in the middle of your, your year? And what, what what can you tell us about the, the schedule going forward? Because I believe it starts uh, September 17th, which is right around when, when a lot of guys are at least in town, if not having started camp. Yeah, well, that's, you know what, I mean, truth be told, one of your players has got to get hurt in September or in the Olympics, you'd probably rather September. At least you got a chance getting him back during the season. So the other the other way, you can lose a guy for the year for a couple pretty pretty important months in the playoffs. So you know, there's again, there's always risk there. And but we we do encourage our players to go to to events like that. Number one, I think they owe it to the game of hockey. And number two, it can it can propel them and certainly be an experience in their life that that they'll never forget. Ron, you certainly know from having played in this town for so many years that the fan base has a tendency to get a little antsy. Uh, you know, they have high expectations of, of long playoff runs and, and things of that nature. But, you know, you were very forthcoming, you know, since becoming general manager, very transparent with your plan for the future. And for whatever reason, the fans have just taken to that. It seems to be almost 100%. And they're very content. They're very calm with the, the long-term plans of this club. 
what is what's that sense been like for you in terms of the the fan support especially since you've become general manager i mean i can remember back to the night when nick schultz had his uh his 1000th game. And, and it seemed like when you came out there, when they announced you, everybody in the mezzanine level had to reach up to try to grab the roof. It was getting ready to blow off. Well, I thought, you know, quite honestly, I, I really appreciate the support from the fans. I think we've, we've kind of mapped out a plan and, and we're sticking to it. And I think with, you know, obviously guys like Shane coming into our lineup, Scotty Lawton come in our lineup, all of a sudden Nick Cousins is up helping us out. So, you know our kids. Uh, uh, those have been, been been obviously good players for us, and then our kids are coming along. And I think today, in today's day and age, it's easier to to monitor uh, draft picks and success. And with Twitter and everything, I think it's a little bit easier to kind of see what's coming. And we're really excited about our future, and we we have tried to be as transparent as possible with our fans without overhyping, and try and explain what we're doing where we're headed and why we're headed this way and the one thing with a cop world it's it's a different world nowadays it's not like the days where you can make a mistake or two and and just get out of it or or you know thankfully mr snyder's always allowed us to spend lots of money so we could add another player and and, and become a, become an even better team with a cap world you better be very cautious and careful with your decisions and and they, they need to be thought through and not only, you know, one or two years, you know, three, four years down the road, you've, you've got to have some players with expiring contracts just in case you're young players. You never want to be in a position where you have to, you have to trade a young player. You're forced to, because, you know, people aren't going to want your, your aging players that are making a ton of money. They're going to want to trade for your young players. So if you get yourself in a predicament with the cap or you're up against it, you know, you hate to, you hate to think about moving, being forced to move one of your young players. So, um, again, I, I think we've been transparent. The fans have been great. They know where we're at. They know where we're headed. I think they probably appreciate the effort that our guys are putting out. Like, I really like the effort our guys are putting out right now. I said uh, to Dave Haxtell the other day, in the last two and a half months, I'm not sure there's very many games where I've sat up top and said we've lacked effort. And that's important, or it's got to become a habit where every night your players come to the rink and know they're going out there to battle and they're going to work hard. And not only because the coach demands it, because they got to start demanding it as as uh, teammates. And I, I believe we're getting there. And you talk about the young guys, the young talent uh, mentioned, uh, Ivan Provorov and and uh, the season that he's having for your your young guys, the, some of the first round picks the last few years. In terms of their progression, are they pretty much on the path that you've expected so far? Yeah, you know what I said out of our out of our young kids, there might be two kids this year that are having you know a little bit disappointing years, and that's a good thing because two out of the the group that we have is is pretty good. We've seen a lot of progress in. A lot of our guys, and I think everybody knows the Sandheims and the Provorovs and the Connecties, but I think the, the I don't even want to call it the next group because that's not fair, but the Abu Cabells, you know, Cooper Marodi, who we picked late last year at, at Michigan, is having a really good year. He's a true freshman and, and doing things that, quite frankly, we didn't expect this soon. Uh, Fosley have... Uh, 
Sanheim's teammate in Calgary there, a real solid two-way centerman. Oscar Lindblom, the left winger over in Europe there, is having a bang-up year. Uh, Felix Sandstrom, the goalie in, in Sweden, is 18 years old, playing playing elite elite league and playing very well. That's not very common over there for a kid that age, playing the elite league. Sam Moran's making progress uh, in the Lehigh Valley. Anthony Stolar's making progress. So people have seen Taylor Lear. Uh, we got Danek Martel down there, a, a small guy with a big heart, scoring a lot of goals. Uh, Cole Bardrow all of a sudden is, is uh, role-playing centerman has, has come out of the woods down there. So we've got a lot of a lot of good things going on, and it's not going to be long before these kids are going to start filtering into the lineup. Ron, last one, and it's a little bit loaded, but how do you know when one of these kids is ready, and, and do other things play a factor? For instance, this. Uh, upcoming, and I know you have 20 games left and then the, the, the playoffs if you make it there, but this upcoming free agent class isn't particularly strong. If you're looking for you know, a, a scoring winger, do you let yourself uh, extend other options out there, or do you look at, then at your, your kids and say, well, hopefully one of these kids shows up? And, and what do they exactly have to show you? Because I know you and I have talked about Shane Gostisbehere, who didn't start the year, uh, in the NHL, but has clearly shown that, that he's able to play at this level. So how do you kind of gauge all that, whether a young player is ready or not? Well, it's not easy, but you really have to look at everything. The first, the first thing we have to look at is where they're at this year. If, uh, you know, just because a kid comes into camp and all of a sudden lights it up for a week, and if we start to think that he's ready to play in the NHL, despite the fact that he wasn't great last year in junior or whatever, you know, we're probably kidding ourselves at some point he's going to drop off. But I think the kids that are in junior or college or the American League that are having strong years and showing on a night-to-night basis uh, that they're they're pretty good players and they're maturing. And then all of a sudden they come to training camp and back it up and play well through training camp. We have a need. And then we're going to look at them. But what what I'm, I'm, I'm totally against is, and you see teams in pro sports do it all the time, where they, they force kids in their lineup they brag about being the youngest team in the league or whatever, but they're not doing their kids any any good by putting them putting them in the league that they're truly not ready for. All of a sudden, they start losing, and the pressure heats up on the kids, and they end up regressing. So that's not the type of situation we want to put our kids into. We want to put our kids in a situation where they thrive, but they're also ready for, for the role. And I don't want a kid up top playing eight or ten minutes. Kind of a long-winded answer, but the free agent market, we'll look at it. Anything anything we can do to to help our team, we'll look at it. We just got to be very cognizant of the type of money, cap space that we put out there for certain players and, and the term probably more than anything with free agents. The term is what gets out of hand. And uh, so we got to be cognizant of, of that. But we, we've got to look at our weaknesses and we got to try to shore it up. I'm sure this will be the, the most listened-to podcast that we've had so far because a lot of these fans are, are looking at the process. And I, I know, I guess I lied when I said last one, I know you said you were thankful for the support, but are you surprised by it and how much uh, you know the fans have been behind a, a long process where some people are talking about a couple of years into the future uh, where your team could be contending every year? Well, that's kind of what we're hoping for and what we're building towards. And you can't, we don't know the speed that our kids are going to, first of all, make the team out, and then second of all, become key players on the team. So it's hard to predict, but, you know, my goal is to get better 
to get better every year. And as we get better here, we're going to get younger. So there'd be lots of upside. So our goal right now is to be better next year than we are this year. And hopefully uh, we make the playoffs this year and it's a good building block for us. Flyers general manager Ron Hextall joining us on the Loose Bucks podcast. Ron, thanks for coming on. It's been a pleasure, Dave, Zach. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Ron. Well, that gives us a really good insight into the process. And part of that process this year has been head coach Dave Hextall, uh, which will lead us into our yes or no segment. And Dave, I'm going to throw this first one to you. Does Dave Hextall deserve credit for the progression of, of younger players such as Sean Couturier and Braden Shen? He certainly deserves some. Uh I don't know if Sean Couturier has been used vastly differently than he was last year. Uh, a lot of people complained about the defensive zone starts. I don't know that number off the top of my head, but he's certainly been used in the shutdown role. Uh, but he's also gotten more offense. I believe he got some time in the second power play unit last year. Uh, but Braden Shen has also seen his offensive numbers increase. Uh, 21 goals is a career high going into Thursday night's game against Edmonton. Uh, some of this is also natural progression from the players, but I do think that uh, there's a certain motivation factor from Dave Haxtell that kind of needs to be taken into account. It's not always pretty. It's not always fun. It's not always, uh, you know, puppies and sunshine and rainbows uh, with Dave Haxtell, but whatever he's doing, I think is working. Yeah. And, you know, I was somewhat skeptical as the season started because you have a, a guy coming in, who, you know, coached and, and successfully coached, you know, so many years at the college level. So you wonder how that transition is going to be when you step into a locker room with, you know, adults making pretty big money as compared to, you know, youngsters, college-age guys uh, that, that haven't had that, you know, that same experience. But I think what's happened in the meantime is that, you know, he has had all this experience with progressing players and teaching young kids. And I think that that has pay dividends to this point especially in the roles that that he's he's put them in he's i think he's put them in roles to succeed especially a guy like Braden shen who in my opinion has always been a versatile you know versatile guy a natural centerman he'll tell you that uh but he has played you know somewhat all over the place on the wings and i think hackstall has done a, a pretty decent job to find what fits for him in the lineup um so so yeah i think i agree i think he deserves at least some credit for what they've done and you mentioned the money. It's also, I don't know the science behind it, but it's a contract year for Braden Shen. And for some reason, contract years always seem to bring out a player's best. Uh, the second one goes to you, speaking of new contracts, is Michael Raffle worth the three-year, $7.05 million extension that he got that's a $2.35 million cap hit? Well, you know, if last year, 21 goals when he was playing with Voracek and Drew a little bit. I think if he's going to do something like that, it's definitely worth 2.35 or whatever it is per year. Um, you know, if he's if he's going to be a fourth-line type player, you know, that, that could be debatable. But, uh, you know, interestingly, Raffle did admit, I think, that especially in the beginning of the season, probably holding the stick a little, a little tighter, knowing that it's a contract, you know, year coming up. Uh, and certainly, as we mentioned a little bit earlier um, in the show tonight, uh, with the the thought process that yeah maybe he could be traded at the deadline used as a piece or something like that. Well, he um, he also started the year on the top line. He did, and and kind of fell a little bit. That probably had something to do with his psychological analysis of himself, also. Oh, sure, because that's that's definitely uh, a big contributing factor to him getting twenty goals last season, and which was his second year, I believe. Right, or, or his third year. Uh, I think it was. 
This is his third year, right? This is his third now, I think, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. So in, in his second year in the league being on the top line there, I think that, that had something to do with that. So uh, I, I think if you stick him in the middle of the lineup, then yeah, that's, and, that's fair. And, and, and fair is exactly what I would call it. I mean, if you look at, at that three years, seven, a little over $7 million, I, I'd say that's market value. Uh, so, you know, if it's good enough for everybody else in jail, certainly good enough for the Flyers. Um, you know, and it's it's somebody that they have invested in the last few years, uh, and I think he'll only continue to grow in the system. So, you know, at, at 2.35, yeah, I think that's a good move. And uh, keeping in, you know, the same concept here, talking about dollars, uh, we talked about Braden Shen. Will Braden Shen's next deal be worth the same as Sean Couturier? So he signed that six-year, I think it was a, what, $26 million deal, comes right around 4.3 a million average annual value. So do you think Shen's deal will be somewhere around there? I think it'll be somewhere around there, yeah. I, I see around four million, uh probably being the number. Maybe not four point three, maybe maybe four even, maybe yeah. four point one. Uh but it wouldn't surprise me if that was if that was the cap hit. I don't know if he's gonna get six years like uh Couturier got. I think it's a little bit different because of Couturier's role. Uh because him playing center in that role is so important to this team. Uh, not that Shen isn't important, but I, I think that uh, he'll probably get around around that number, but I don't think he'll get quite as high uh, just because of the, the other things that Couturier does, the penalty killing, yeah. the shutdown role. Uh, for, for that reason, I would say he, he gets a little bit shy, but around four is probably right. And again, as I just mentioned, Michael Raffle, I think I think four would be a, a fair market value for a guy like Braden Shen. Uh, and you know, I'm I'm pleasantly surprised. I don't even know how to say pleasantly surprised, but I'm I'm happy to see him having the season that he's having. Uh, you know, especially everything through training camp where there was, you know, Couturier got his uh, his extension before the season. The word was, well, you know, Braden's going to have to play for his. We'll see what happens. He was kind of all over the place, even an extra a few times in camp. Uh, but he's, he's you know, retained his confidence. He's played well in the situations he's been put in. He's doing well in the power play. And if, if he can get, you know, a deal in the $4 million range or so, I think he's earned it. Yeah, part of that is probably a little bit of that, that Dave Hackstall motivation that we mm-hmm. that we talked about. But I think the the biggest improvement this year for Shen is he's become a little bit more consistent and and he was uh you couldn't really say that for him in in the past couple of years uh, with the Flyers. Let's put the last one back to you, Zach. Can Michael Neuvirth stay this hot for the rest of the season? Uh he's in line to make I believe his fifth straight start uh, tomorrow against Edmonton. You know, at this point I don't see why not. To to me he's been one of the most pleasant surprises of this entire season. Uh I thought it was a good signing in the off season. I thought he'd be somebody who would really complement Steve Mason. Um, you know, push him and uh, be a really reliable backup. And as we've seen, I mean, especially recently, but throughout the season, he's been what I would consider probably more than a reliable backup. He's They're running 1A, 1B at this point, not necessarily, you know, 1 and 2. And I think it's a, a situation we haven't necessarily seen here in Philly for quite some time. Certainly. Um, and, yeah, as you mentioned, and recently, you know, they're, the Flyers are winning with him and Ned. He's coming up big. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, actually, as we come down the stretch here, 20 games left, if the Flyers are able to make the playoffs and say they make it by a point or maybe two points or something like that, can we look back to that Arizona game, that stick save with two point whatever seconds left, which was just a phenomenal save in my opinion? I'm, I'm still not convinced that it was a save. I look at a few camera <laughs> angles and I, I think that puck may have crossed the line. But, yeah, absolutely, that was that was the lead of my story that night was this is 
this has potential to be the Brian Boucher save against the Rangers oh, in geez. Game 82 shootout yeah. moment. Right. Uh, that that absolutely could be uh, what it comes down to for Michael Neuvert and the Flyers. But when you look back at Neuvert's career, and we've talked about this on the show before, you just wait for the other shoe to drop with yeah. him. He, he's He's gone on uh, hot streaks before, and then something happens, whether it's an injury or something happens. Yeah. And, and, and he ends up... Uh, coming out of the lineup and and you you hear the sizzle because he starts to cool down uh you just for the flyers sake hope that steve mason is 100 percent uh at that point he says he is now uh, right. and and would certainly like a chance to get back in that net but uh you, you it's just it's always been michael neuvert's mo and until he proves otherwise you just wait for the for and then what Right. And, and, you know, it's uh, to me, it feels like a totally different scenario in the sense of a few seasons ago when the Flyers made the playoffs first round against New York Rangers when they went to seven games uh, in the beginning of that series when Mason was out and Ray Emery was the guy didn't have as good of a feeling as I would have right now with my, if Michael Neuvert kind of assumed that role and was a playoff starter or something like that. That my only fear, and as we kind of just touched on it, would be that it would, and and not that they did poorly in 2010. They were two games within winning the Stanley Cup, but that season, if you recall, you know the goaltenders had uh, quite a bit of the oh, injury bug there. So hopefully that won't be the case down the stretch here, because as you mentioned, Neuvirth has not been able to escape this injury bug throughout the season. Him and Mason both actually. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, what their health is like down the stretch. Well, there's there's an interesting parallel there because I I maintain. I don't think Peter Laviolette knows how to use goalies very well. I think to a certain extent he made Cam Ward's career and Cam Ward made Mm -hmm. his career uh, the year that they went to the Stanley Cup and won it in Carolina. The fact that he's got Pekka Rene, who is absolutely a starting goaltender, makes things a lot easier on him. Uh, That's an interesting question. How would Peter Laviolette deal with this goalie tandem? Uh, Because both guys have been very good, and, and Michael Neuvert has been probably the biggest improvement uh, to the Flyers from last year, when you look at position by position, the backup goalie, uh, Ray Emery was not what the Flyers needed him to be last year, right. and Michael Neuverth has been everything they could have asked for and more. Uh, but l- let's move on now to, to the Down the Farm segment. We do this every week and look at some of those guys that Hexy was talking about, some of the guys coming up, uh, and to varying degrees, we'll touch on a couple different leagues here. Uh, the first one, Nicholas Abikubel, who Hexy alluded to earlier, uh, tied for 13th in the league in scoring. He plays for Val Dor, the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. He's got three goals and five assists in his last seven games, and he'll be turning 20. Uh, if he's not 20 already, he, he will be a professional hockey player next year, so I, I would expect to see him with the Lehigh Valley Phantoms. Another guy that Ron mentioned earlier in the interview, uh, right wing Travis Konechny. Uh, in the OHL, he's sixth in scoring. He uh, recently had a 15-game point streak snapped on Sunday, uh, which included 12 goals, 17 assists for 29 points, which is unreal. That's almost and two points a game. <laughs> it's unbelievable. And, uh, you know, f- for everybody who's listened into these podcasts, I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to realize we've been drooling over this guy, and I think we've been doing it for good reason. Uh, I-, I would, you know... I don't want to bet my house on it, although I, I might end oh, property up property taxes doing in so. New Jersey. I can't blame you, pal. <laughs> but you know, I you know we might as well book it. I, I think he's here next year. I really do. I think he's in orange and black. 
Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And and somebody who we might see a little bit sooner than that, although I don't know about next year's roster, uh, left winger Taylor Lear from the Lehigh Valley Phantoms. I, I think we might see him at some point before the end of the season here. Uh, he's two points off the team lead. Chris Connor currently holds it for the Phantoms. Uh, he had a goal in his last game Sunday at Hartford, and in his last nine games he's had at least three shots. So he's starting to throw pucks on net. Uh, he had his first pro hat trick uh, earlier this month, so uh, good things to see from Taylor Lear. Absolutely. So now we'll come down to our South Jersey report. Uh, a few names we've mentioned uh, each week, and we keep mentioning them because they're doing pretty well. First guy here is forward Kyle Chris Cuolo. He plays for Harvard. He's from Southampton. He has a three-game point streak going on. Uh, he's got 18 goals, 12 assists uh, for 30 points in 29 games played. Uh, and as we mentioned before, he is free agent eligible. Yeah, so once once his season ends, it'll be interesting to see which, which NHL team uh, takes him on. Tony D'Angelo is up next on the South Jersey Report. Plays for Syracuse Crunch, the American Hockey League. He's from Sewell. He's got a four-game point streak going. He's a rookie in the American League, so this is uh, really nothing to you know turn your nose up at. He's got five goals, 28 assists uh, in 50 games played for the Tampa Bay Lightning's AHL affiliate and they just uh, made some call-ups the other day, and I was kind of interested to see if he might be one of them because this is his first year pro. Um, but I guess they, they, they haven't seen quite enough uh, of him lighting it up down there to call him up immediately. But n- not a bad uh, rookie season in the American League for him. Sure. And lastly here, we have uh, our Episode 10 guest, uh, TJ Brennan, defenseman for the Toronto Marlies uh, in the American Hockey League. He's a Morristown native. Uh, just this past Saturday against Rochester, it was a 10-5 to win for Toronto. TJ had five points. Five points. Two goals and three assists for five points in that game. Obviously, first star of the game. Uh, nothing, Not this, nothing this kid does, uh, you know, I, I'm, he, he continues to amaze me. It's, uh, it's wonderful to see. And for his sake, you know, Toronto is one of the best teams. I think they're still the best team in the NHL. So it would be nice to see if maybe he can, uh, you know, add a Calder Cup to his you know, his trophy case here. I was also interested on trade deadline day and, and the days around it, uh, the absolute fire sale that the Shoot. Toronto Maple Leafs were My having goodness, yeah. to see how that would have affected him. Uh, he, he was not one of those guys that was that was recalled uh, from the Marlies, but they, they called up who Sammy Kapanen's kid and yeah, uh, Nylander yeah, got yeah. called up as well. So the future is now to a certain extent for the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, we'll see. How much of it T.J. Brennan has to do with that going forward? But uh, we've talked about this in, in podcasts past. Yeah. Uh, he's certainly got the offensive capabilities to play in the NHL and kind of seems perfect for a Toronto Maple Leafs team that doesn't have much else to lose. Uh, if he, if the knock against T.J. Brennan is that his defensive game isn't all there, then you know this is the time to... Uh, to kind of find out and throw him to the wolves and, and, and put him right there in the fire with a, a team that's looking at a lottery pick and you, you potentially have a, a high ceiling there offensively. Absolutely. And with that, let's finish off with our big finish. Dave and I will each give a sweeping declaration and I'm going to do mine a little differently this week. I'm going to give two and I'm going to give two because I'm just trying to give myself a chance <laughs> to get one of these right. Uh, and one of them might be a little bit easier than the other. So the first one I'll start out with, start off with, is that uh, right now the Flyers are three and zero in their current homestand, uh, wins against Minnesota, Arizona, and uh, Calgary. They've got three games left, so they have a six game homestand. They're going to play Edmonton tomorrow night. Then they'll finish off with the Columbus Blue Jackets and the Tampa Bay Lightning. Jake Voracek had said for this team to stay in in position, he'd want to see you know ten out of twelve points. And I'm going to go with him. My first sweeping declaration is going to say that's going to happen. 
Uh, don't know what games. You'd like to hope that one of them would be against Edmonton. Not a very good team. We'll hope that the Flyers don't play down to them, which they've had the tendency to do at points in the past. Uh, so hopefully they can take care of business there and then get another win uh, between you know the, the Jackets and the Lightning. And then the second one, this is my more um, go, you know, go big or go home uh, type declaration, and it, it revolves around Braden Shen, who we've talked about you know a few times earlier in this episode. Right now he's got 21 goals. They've got 20 games left. If he stays healthy, I'm going to say he hits the 30-goal mark. So that's nine goals in 20 games. We're going to say he hits that 30-goal mark, maybe half of them or so, or like four or something like that, be on the power play. So essentially, I think what he has the capability of doing is being what I thought Wayne Simmons would do this year at 30 goals. Simmons not far off either. He's got 23. But I think, you know, and I'll go a step further. I think that Shen's going to hit 30, and I think he's going to lead the team in goals by the end of the season. So he'll he'll finish with more than Simmons, you're saying? Yes. Got a little bit of ground to make up there, but I, I like it. That's that is certainly uh going over the top there for for a pick, but hey, why not? Yep. Um the one that I would like to say, but I I don't necessarily trust the uh the, the full voting capabilities of the PHWA here is that <laughs> Shane Gostisbehere should finish no no worse than second. I feel I feel fairly confident in that one, yeah. saying no worse than second in Calder Trophy voting. To me, and, and it sounds like I cover the Flyers, but uh, to me you have to take into account the fact that Artemi Panner in, in Chicago plays on Patrick Kane's line right. and that he is the, the you know points leader in the NHL and probably the – the leading MVP candidate right now, I think if you threw Michael Michael Raffle on that line, he would have just as many points, if not more. Uh, I, I think it has more to do with who he's playing with than his own personal success. I think when you look at what Shane Gostisbehere's done, uh, I, I, th- I think he is worthy of being the, the Calder Trophy winner. When you put him up against, and I think we talked about this on the show earlier, when you put him up against Aaron Ekblad last year, yeah. who finished seventh in the in uh, scoring among rookies, the fact that he helped that team, that Florida team, in so many ways, I think Shane Gostisbehere means more to the Flyers than Panarin does to the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, I, I don't know if I have it in me to outright say that he's going to win the Calder Trophy right. because I, I, I just think there's too much uh, kind of going against him there, uh, especially you know with, with some of those votes out west and people not even being able to uh, – pronounce the name Goss Despair, let alone, you know, wrap their heads around why he should win the award. But uh, I, th- I think he should, and he should finish no worse than second because they do uh, come out with, you know, definitive rankings where they fall. Right. So uh, I'll, I'll at least say that. I'm confident in saying that, that he will be no worse than second. I think that's perfect. I mean, and you look at a guy like McDavid. I mean, he's somewhat everything in, in Edmonton. I mean, they're calling him McJesus. I mean, if you call somebody McJesus, how could you not be? Well, but- I mean, there's – You'll never be able to make everybody happy. I mean, Canada's mascot, who is Don Cherry, basically <laughs> said that uh, the Flyers were, were out to get him out and, get and him. Yep. purposefully hurt him, which could right. not be more preposterous when you look at the, the replay uh, of that game out there in Edmonton the last time the, the Flyers and Oilers played. Uh, but he, he is healthy now. But I, I just don't think that there's enough of a, a body of work there to put him in That's there. That's the thing. And I don't – I mean, he means a lot to them. I don't think he means as much to them as Goss Despair has meant to this Flyers club this season. Yeah, absolutely, and and there's there's other cases to be made for other guys. I wouldn't even put him in the top three, to be honest with you. I think Dylan Larkin uh, is more deserving, uh, maybe even a Max Domi, although that team as a whole hasn't been 
as as good as they would like to be in the Arizona Coyotes. So I, I think uh, it'll probably finish. It'll probably finish Panarin, Gostas, Bear, Larkin. Right. It should finish. Uh, you know what? I would even put Panarin third in that group because I think Larkin has meant more to the, the, the Red Wings also. I would put Gostas, Bear, Larkin, Panarin, but I, I know that's not how it's going to go uh, just because of the, the, the points thing. If if Gostas, Bear went on another 15-game point streak and, and closed the gap there points-wise a little bit, he would have much more of a shot. And certainly he has to be uh, more productive than he's been the last couple games here where he hasn't gotten uh, many points uh, in order to, to seal that up there. But it is a regular season uh, award, so the playoffs don't really count into it. So anything that Panarin does in, in, in the playoffs uh, doesn't get taken into account there. I, I think that's what it should be, but that's just me. Sure, and I mean, and there you have it. We've got 20 games left. We'll see if Braden Shen can can pull off my declaration. We'll see if Shane Gossesbear can you know, keep doing what he's doing. And certainly I think he would get at least, uh, you know, be a finalist for the Calder. We'll see if he can put himself in position to win it. Uh, you know, not sure how you came across this here. We are on iTunes, SoundCloud, or CurrePostOnline.com. We certainly appreciate you tuning in, and we will see you next week.